0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Today, I might even say guten Abend because we have my friend for many years, Nate Garvis, who I met decades ago studying in Vienna for our junior year programs. Um, when I was in college, dear listeners, you may not know this, but uh, most of my college buddies and high school friends know me as Will Eusnick because I'm actually William Lewis Eusnick Jr. But a family nickname Toby stuck when I started my career early on. So. Nate and I will go back and forth between Toby and Will today, but really I think of Nate and me as Will and Nate. So, Nate, welcome to The Caring Economy.
1: Thank you. How about if I just call you dear friend?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm a friend.
1: <laughs> so good to be with you,
0: thank you. Thank you, Nate. So, Nate and I, as I said, we met in our junior years of college and uh, he was at University of Minnesota, I was at Hampton-Sydney College and we were on this fantastic junior year program called Uh, the institute of international institute of european education and this was 1983 i guess it was nate in vienna Uh, and um and we just took off like a house on fire as we did with other friends in that very special moment in our lives and in our history um nate um so from there you went on to law school you went to join corporately at target had an amazing career there but today you are the founder and president of naked civics which we're going to talk about today a strategic counseling firm for brands major and minor uh navigating today's tumultuous waters but nate garvis tell us a little bit about who you are and your career trajectory how you got where you got and Uh, do share some of the pivots along the way
1: okay yeah because pivots are good how about if i start with purpose uh my my purpose in life is to connect ideas people and institutions in order to strengthen civic health that's actually been my driving energy and my filter throughout my professional career as you said i went to law school i went to law school with the express condition i'd never practiced law i've never used my degree in anger Um, but i did get involved on the front side of the law on on the crafting of law And I was uh, very lucky to have a a wonderful career at target running government affairs there and we also created something which back at that time was a pretty innovative approach which ended up calling um, civic affairs. What was happening is civic affairs yeah it was actually um, how do we actually move great outcomes without having to pass a law, there were actually a couple of things happening at that point and they're still happening. One is is that capitals throughout the world, throughout our country, were turning into bad reality TV shows. And I knew how every episode was gonna end because we were paying people by the fight. What was happening was that, um, uh, you know, we we were growing a multi-billion dollar political industry, which was subjugating good policy making. It was really hard to get good policy out of of that. Commensurate with that though, I started uh, playing around with ideas of marrying design with uh, public policy outcomes. We can you know, argue about cap and trade legislation, but we could also be out there building Teslas and um, got really imbued in that kind of thinking, ended up going out to Babson College, which for the last 40 years has led the world in entrepreneurial education and helped launch the social innovation lab out there, which was really about marrying value creation with values. So what we're trying to do is to take what normally would have been in the purview of government affairs, or maybe corporate social responsibility, both which are seen largely as risk mitigating strategies and cost centers inside, and actually to convert that conversation into something where we could actually align it with value creation, get it resourced, as such and use that as the market differentiator with the idea that people don't just want to buy things they want to buy into things and that's what we would do is design the into so yep took uh took myself out of target with that thought target came along i was really really treated well by that company still adore target and
0: um i need i need to interrupt one second i have to say when you were there those were what years that was Target in well, world. I
1: started actually with the parent company, Dayton Hudson, in nineteen ninety three and I left in two thousand
0: ten. I mean, the trajectory that you and your colleagues helped put that brand on is phenomenal. I mean, it really took mass retail into a much more sophisticated, elevated, and I think responsible place. So yeah, boss over that too quickly, but I was very proud of you then and remain so for what you helped that brand do steward a time when it wasn't required or necessary or fashionable even, it was just progressive.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. You know, um, yes, it was a rocket sled. I got to watch uh, the company go from 13 billion to over 80 billion. But, you know, I really want to credit not just uh, my my teammates at Target, I want to credit the Target customer. when you're in business, you really have two uh, two jobs. One is you want to be responsive to your customer. But the other is that you need to be relevant to your customer. And relevancy has been changing for a couple of you know decades, three, four decades, maybe even. And um, smart, educated women are the core of Target's business. And their values were being incorporated into their value proposition. So our job, was to actually be students of that customer and respond in, in, life, uh, in life force. And it really pushed us into some beautiful places and it changed my thinking as well as I, you know, as I said, um, that doing the right thing is something that we shouldn't be doing uh, necessarily as just a charitable thing or um, you know, because it's the right thing to do. We actually want to incent Uh, companies to do the right thing and and incent them in ways where they really do get rewarded. And that's where I got my first taste of it.
0: So, ladies and gentlemen, again, today we have my pal, Nate Garvis, who's the founder and president of Naked Civics with us. So Nate, uh, you you had your proof of concept from Target, and was it you just being classic Nate who wanted to raise the bar himself and scale this up? So you went on to launch your own baby?
1: yeah i think you know i like to overturn my own apple cart now and then and um i i really thought that there was um not only an opportunity to marry values and value creation uh as i you know started our conversation out uh with is it really uh resonated strongly with my purpose um my purpose was being thwarted in political circles. It wasn't a Republican or a Democrat thing. We were literally paying people by the fight. And when you pay people by the fight, you get lots of fights. But you also get solution adverse environments because if I solve your problem, you don't need me anymore. I found that very fatiguing and I didn't want to stay in that cynical space. So yes, I I left with Naked Civics, uh, went off to create another business with an old friend of mine um, called Studio E, because we were observing another thing that was going on in our world at that time. This is back in 2010, that our world wasn't just changing uh, massively. It was changing constantly, and it was accelerating. That posed a couple of really interesting challenges, as we observed with a lot of our very successful friends from just about every sector were getting stuck and unhappy, and it wasn't because they weren't working hard. Um, it's that they actually had lost that thread of relevance. Um, the human brain does not like change. So that was something that was going on. But you and I were, were raised in a culture that not only standardizes our thinking, but by and large in business, we use predictive logic and managerial thinking. We're going to predict the next quarter, put a plan against it, rinse and repeat. Great and way to operate by right.
0: with technology. Okay. Yeah.
1: It's, a, it's, a, it's an effective way of operating when things are stable, but when you've never seen the target before or the targets in you know, a volatile environment and there's no instruction book, using prediction alone is really reckless. So we created a methodology of exploratory leadership, which allows leaders to actually iterate and learn their way forward. Uh, into creating new things, you know, where you have ideas where there aren't instructions. So, naked civics is why I do, and it's what I do. And Studio E is really kind of like how I do it, is I help brands iterate their way forward um, to better align with the regulatory needs of society. And at that, you know, I define regulation very broadly. It's more than laws. It's more than rules that we comply to. Um, the, the, the most powerful way we regulate is through our culture. And it's really the act of creating common standards. Well, that's a pretty volatile and fluid uh, situation. Yeah.
0: Right well, I'm going to ask you for one or two examples if you can share of clients, big or small, or name brand or not, of what successes look like in applying this how to do it approach.
1: Yeah, well. You know, there's there, boy, there are so many different kinds of examples and I've worked in so many different kinds of settings as well. So let's take healthcare for a second. Uh, healthcare is trying desperately to graduate beyond just being the provider of medicine. Um, that's not the whole of what healthcare looks like right now, creating a more empathetic touch, warm doctoring in addition to expert uh, science. All of these things are about pushing relevance in in, um, cultures that are really difficult to change. Um, Dealing with incredibly intelligent people that are very exacting in um, the science of medicine, but they can lose the peripheral vision, if you will, of there's actually a
0: person on the other end. Or they're so specialized that they can't help but lose that peripheral vision.
1: Exactly. Or I've worked with companies that are weighing in heavily uh, in this incredible moment in time that we're in right now, this hinge moment in history of being anti-racist. So, you know, as you know, I'm from Minneapolis and we're we're experiencing, as is the whole globe, some incredible and incredibly important pain right now over institutional racism. You and I live in a society right now where it's really hard to get it right. But boy, is it easy to get it wrong. And it frightens a lot of business leaders. By changing the framing of what we're dealing with from not just being anti-racist, but being pro-diversity, it allows a business to actually broaden its lens as to how to use diversity for its utility. You know, it's, um, I like to say, I'm not really interested in how smart you are. I'm interested in how are you smart? And when we start thinking of ourselves as unique gifts of first names and talent, we actually broaden the lens of possibility and who we can incorporate that goes well beyond the EEOC definitions of, of, what, in, of uh, what diversity should look like. So that's another example.
0: Um, Ladies and gentlemen, today we have Nate Garvis, who is the founder and president of Naked Civics and also of Studio E. Uh, we're talking about the how of affecting change. Uh, so, is, sticking with this healthcare industry example, do you have clients in that space who you're helping wrestle with the George Floyd murders and trial, or about a diverse, having a better representation in their practice groups as they're providing healthcare, or how uh, does that how does that rubber meet the road?
1: Yeah, um, I've actually worked with a lot of different entities within the healthcare spectrum, from payers to providers to entrepreneurs, uh, um, as, as you know, I've, I work in just about every industry, as you can imagine, from retail to manufacturing, law enforcement, as well as education. Um, yes, yeah, some, of, some of the work really does go to social determinants of health, which is um, a horrible stain in our, com- in our country. When you think of how wealthy we are as a country and how um, amazing our, medi- our medicine can be and how unevenly distributed it is, right? But then if you really start look, peeling that back, in addition to is medical care available in every zip code, and is it being provided in an equitable way, a lot of the reform actually goes on the health side. You know, it goes to like making sure that we don't have food deserts. You know, you know, I mean, it's actually, I think, a moral that we can predict a you know, a lifespan by zip code right now. And it isn't just because there aren't or there are doctors present, it actually is the fabric that our communities live in that produces health. And that's where a lot of the inequities come from as well. So it gets not only complex, but the opportunities get really wonderful too, because now we can start looking at partnerships. A healthcare system should be partnering with a grocery chain, should be partnering with health clubs should be partnering with with law enforcement because if a neighborhood is not safe people aren't outside exercising it really does take a village and one of the issues out there in every sector is that um, our companies are very powerful but they also tend to be really uh, insular we look at our societal needs and we look at the opportunities out there i think that Collaboration
0: is the new competition. Yeah, so, so you're part of your your uh, secret ingredient at I guess both Studio E and uh, Naked Civics is to help your clients make those connections, form those synergistic opportunities to either enhance diversity or accessibility, equity. Is that a fair statement?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, certainly from the Naked Civics side, it is really about understanding the complexity of what produces a good community. You know, I I really honestly believe that no one does well in a bad neighborhood. Unless you run guns or drugs, no one is doing well in that neighborhood. And while a lot of people can bitch and moan about why the neighborhood isn't good and who to blame, the solutions often, actually they almost always lie in understanding that every one of our institutional forms out there is a tool in the toolbox. Mm-hmm. and that used in combination we can bring much better health and as we bring those forces together we need to also align incentives we want to actually turn making the community better into a profit center
0: yeah. and you've, well you know i think the key is also to to iterate to practice to try to pilot things we can't wait for perfection we can't wait for grand sweeping statements i mean you've mentioned the george floyd uh trial that just got underway today and now everyone's heart breaks for what your community is going through and yet as imperfect as the process may be at least it's rolling and that gives us a chance i believe to try and address the horrible things that have been done and to do it in a way that's as transparent as possible does it feel like that on the ground in minneapolis today
1: well, you know, I'm actually in Southern Utah hiking right now, but <laughs> no, here's the thing. And, you know, it was pointed out to me, too, because I, 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 I said this as well. It's actually the Derek Chauvin trial, right? George, it's in George Floyd's memory right. that we gather, right? But um, it's a very painful time. You know, I come from a very politically liberal city that has actually some of the worst systemic racism and anti-Semitism and anti-Americanism, you know, it's like, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually really exposing some really tough, tough uh, uh, systemic stories in our community, but, um, but necessary. And mm-hmm. I think we have to kind of go through this pain. Here's another way I like to frame these things though, as well, is that so much of what we talk about, um, you and I, oftentimes are framed as a, a solvable problem. Um, I actually address them as ongoing dilemmas. And that's more than just a, a semantic difference. You actually- Again,
0: it's uh, not a, uh, an unsolvable dilemma, did you say?
1: It's, it's actually not a, it's not a problem. A lot of things in front of us, let's take healthcare for a second. We're not going to solve healthcare. Whenever you hear a politician saying that I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat, they're not speaking truthfully. We're not going to solve healthcare. What we are going to hopefully do is manage the dilemma of bringing better health to more people. A dilemma I view as an as a problem that is persistent, it's ongoing. You put a different kind of strategy against a dilemma. You learn your way into a dilemma. And when it comes to systemic racism in our country, it's a dilemma that every generation it has to grapple with until the point where maybe we do turn it into a solvable problem. But at its core, what we're dealing with is human biology. We're not born racists. Racism is an institutional invention, but we are born xenophobes. Our brains are hardwired to look at anyone different as dangerous, and that's not actually we're thinking that. It is our biology, it is our opportunity for us to actually create the environments where we can be more curious, more compassionate and more creative. So Naked Civics, in a lot of ways, is it's about moving forward by doing tomorrow differently, not just yesterday harder.
0: I like this idea of managing the dilemma because you're right, these are not quick fixes and anyone who suggests that they are, you do need to run the other way. Tell us though, how does this, we've seen how the politics have played out in the past few years, how, how is Naked Civics helping the average person on the street to deal with that dysfunction? Or is it just your clients that you deal with? Or do or you, you have sort of a, a, how does one engage with Naked First of all, what's the website address? And then how does one engage with Naked Civics?
1: Creative, NakedCivics.com. And you can email me at Nate NakedCivics.com. But a lot of it is about delabeling ourselves. You know, we all walk around with a lot of uh, political identities. And it's not that they are wrong, but they usually are a very incomplete description of who we are and what we're capable of doing and how our hearts beat and how we should be loving and working with one another. So a lot of it is creating environments of curiosity, which is a lot easier said than done. We are hardwired again uh, as as being you know assumption machines. That's how we you know we kind of progress in this world. And if we actually can create the spaces where we become first names to one another rather than labels, we slow our brains down enough to actually look at one another differently. When I know you as a story, I have a friend named Richard Karlbaum. Richard has been incredibly successful uh, throughout the country in gay marriage uh, movements right and and this is an example of how it works it used to be something theoretical it was about you know the right for gay people to marry right and it wasn't really progressing until Richard started talking about it this way you have a friend who's gay you have a cousin who's gay you have a neighbor who's gay he personalized it And it was actually once we started personalizing it, once I know you as my friend and as a first name, I can't discount you. Well, that's actually how it works in politics in general. It's actually one of the sad things right now. I have a very dear friend who is a congressman uh, and he told me of just how brutal it is, how disincented freshmen are from actually meeting each other across the aisle. They want to project that the other side is the enemy, yeah. not the opposing party, the enemy.
0: Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, stay with us after this break. We have today with us Nate Garvis, who is the founder and president of Naked Civics, as well as Studio E. Again, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Nate Garvis, who's with us today from both Naked Civics, which he, he founded and uh, runs, as well as Studio E, which he co-founded. Nate, we were just talking before the break about the animosity and the tension, particularly in the political sphere right now, I wanna talk a little bit about the role of technology and what it plays in that. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. Once you personalize it, you know the other by name, you talk to the other, that's great. But what about uh, those people who don't necessarily exist in reality, right? It could be a bot that's created technologically, or it could be someone who's anonymous online. I, I'm of a belief that if we got rid of anonymity online and people had to own their opinions, the world would be a better place. Right? Uh, but, but how? what do you say about the role of technology in, in finding our way forward? Uh,
1: such a great question. So technology is really, really powerful. It's not good or bad, it's both. My, um, as you know, I'm uh, aggressively unaccredited in everything I do, but I'm also a history <laughs> and it's you know observe that
0: major too we share that
1: yeah um you know we usually burn our fingers first before we figure stuff out we could blow up a city with an atom before we could power a city with an atom i actually think what you're talking about is the existential crisis of our age our parents grew up with the threat of nuclear annihilation which you know is still there but i think what you're leaning to into is um, existentially dangerous. We have a digital environment that not only hyper connects us, but it hyper insulates us. And then it hyper polarizes us with hyper editorialized news and social media. So here I am, I'm reading what I'm reading. And then I see some joker acting and I go, given what I'm reading How could that person ever think that? What a fool. But the fact of the matter is that that person isn't reading what I'm reading, especially with the advent of artificial intelligence. So we find ourselves arguing about this noun, who holds the truth, but we're not practicing the verb of being truthful with ourselves nor one another. And it's the perfect and the most easy card game of all. I'm going to make you anxious, I'm going to make you frightened, and I'm going to tell you who to blame. And it's going on all over our world right now in every kind of identity. It's a great way to make us stuck. Yes,
0: I didn't hear much coming out of Washington this week. We had the CEOs of Facebook and Twitter and Google testifying, And yet again, this has happened several times over the past year. I feel as if they show up. They say what they want and they leave. And we're all the more beholden to tech than ever. Yeah, but
1: here's here's the thing, though. Um, And this is what I was talking about, where where it's good to define regulation more broadly. We have this little thing called the First Amendment. It's going to be really, really hard to regulate what's going on legally. That doesn't mean that we can't regulate ourselves culturally. We could create um, certified news if we wanted to. And we could make it really unpopular to hold opinions that weren't, you know, kind of like scrubbed. Is this really news or is this just opinion, you know? And is it a a really skewed opinion? There's all sorts of things that we can do through the marketplace, through our power as consumers that can really impact a business. You know, we can argue about whether we should be in the Paris Climate Accords or not, right? And that's a legitimate Mm -hmm. argument, but it doesn't matter because um, cargo is still going to stop selling palm oil. Why? Because no one wants to buy it. We could do the same thing in our digital environments if wiser voices would emerge and give cultural ways as to how we could watch our digital diets.
0: Well, I just think that with regard to these these platforms that present quote unquote news, uh, they should be treated more like news organizations and they're not. They're not. So people who get that
1: Why aren't they? You know why? Correct. Why are we demanding that they Correct. are?
0: Correct. So that's where I'm going. Um, but I, I do think that one solution is just to turn them off or give them less attention. And I know you, you know, you and Trisha have two lovely daughters. I'd be curious about how they've grown up as medicines and how they they function well in life because they have great parenting, obviously. But but. <laughs> But how how do you teach a young person today that sort of rigor or discipline around digital technology?
1: Boy, it's that's a dilemma. It really is. You know, my daughter's twenty two and, and uh, nineteen. Um, they're as addicted to their phones as anyone else, right? But it, but we do have conversations um, frequently, and we used to around the dinner table about current events, and we would have not only broad-based conversations, but broadly generous conversations, talking about different perspectives. As you know, we've traveled the world many times over with our girls and we get off the beaten path and treat it like a classroom. So I would say, you know, the, the antidote to what you're talking about is that insularity is our enemy right now. Your ability, your individual ability to go beyond what is comfortable and expose yourself to other inputs out there actually allows a smart person to become a wise person. Yeah. And that's what we need is a little bit more wisdom in our society.
0: Yeah, and COVID has made it more difficult because we're physically limited right now more than ever. But I would submit that in fact, that's somewhat not the case that we can get out. We can also turn off these devices and find other ways to just be open to the other. Um, as our junior year abroad program allowed us to do, right? like. Probably the best thing we ever did college-wise, right?
1: How many first names came out of that year? How many first names that have lasted many, many decades had had come out of that year? And it's because we had common experience. Mm -hmm. And that's actually, um, you know, it's it's one of my efforts out there is to create those analog spaces to uh, create a safe place to think dangerously. Meet someone (laughs) that you might not have known you needed to meet and learn something that you didn't know before.
0: I have to laugh because you've always been that person since I've known you from day one <laughs> in uh, in Vienna. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, again today, we've had as our guest, Nate Garvis, who is a pal for decades uh, from Minnesota, the, the great state of Minnesota, and um, founder and president of Naked Civics, as well as a co-founder of Studio E. So. If you're tackling the bigger issues in your business about how to move forward, Nate can help you and he can also show you the way. Nate, I'm going to give you the last word here today on the caring economy. What say you, my friend?
1: You know, first of all, I think it's so beautiful that you are hosting conversations like this. I've listened to every episode now and you pull such beautiful wisdom out of such smart people. You know, know it's been said before, The worst thing about business is it will do anything to make money. But the most awesome thing about business is it will do anything to make money. When you and I and all of our friends out there actually exercise our voices as a marketplace, we can actually move our planet forward like governments are not able or interested in doing anymore. Business has actually the biggest toolbox on the planet right now and it's up to us to help our friends in business do good business by doing good things in our well
0: said my friend. Thank you so much Nate Garvis. I hope you'll come back and join us for another visit on the caring economy. And as we said way back when in Vienna, (laughs) be spader minus Linda.
1: Thank you.